He is good, good, good. He sure is. All right, anybody got a question? I'm giving them to you. I'm waiting on the answer. <laughs> <laughs> you got to remember them, Ron. Yeah. I've given her some good resources to go through and look at. She's just asking, how do we deal with some of these things in the scriptures? When it comes to artifacts, when it comes to those kind of things, you know, how do we balance that out from a scriptural basis? And we always want to remember, you probably have heard that term before, prehistoric. You ever heard that term before? Just wipe that out your mind. There is nothing prehistoric. You really go to think about it. Uh, just having that that mentality already throws a question up. Okay, well, when you talk about what's the word history? History is relationship to time, right? So you have history, and what we have in the scriptures is what we would we would call not just Bible history. I believe, and this is where. I would encourage anybody to stand as well, is that I believe that this is our history. Amen. This is the beginning. And that's why the Bible refers to it that way, is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as I mentioned to you on that first Sunday, we gathered in October and opening up this, that Genesis 1-1 is a summary statement. I don't know if y'all remember me talking about it, but I said, look, I cooked a pork loin and brought it over to eat with rice. All right. And then I said, well, let me tell you how I cooked that pork loin. And I said, I found that pork loin. I really got it to cook Stephanie some pork chops off of it. And I was going to put the rest of it up. I said, but she went out of town to go help Lauren. And I had this loin in the refrigerator. And then I went through and explained to you how I did it. Now, I wasn't telling you that just to tell you how I did it. What I was doing was just illustrating that I gave you a summary. I cooked the pork loin and brought it over for lunch today. That was the summary statement. But then I explained what I did with the pork loin. That's what you have in the rest of chapter 1 in the chapter 2. That's the explanation that God, the, the statement in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is a summary statement. And then he says, verse 2, when he opens up there and goes into chapter number 2, he's going to explain to us the six days of creation, what he did when he did that. And then chapter 2 is a re-explanation of, of the sixth day when he created man. Once you get into verse 5, I believe it is, on through the rest of the chapter, and then you get into chapter 3, we see the temptation that came in with the fall of Adam and Eve. Then you get into chapter 4. You have the issue with Cain wanting God to value what Cain valued compared to him submitting himself to the Lord. We see the casualty of the fall beginning to be manifested with the depravity of man wanting it his way. And we see Abel's testimony and Cain's testimony. Well, the Bible is going to bring up Cain in the New Testament. And they're going to tell us that Cain was a son of the devil and that Cain practiced lawlessness and Cain took it out on his brother Abel, who was righteous. And he reminds us not to love as Cain. Don't love as Cain. Well, how did Cain love? Cain loved what he loved and he wouldn't surrender that unto the Lord. And what did he do? He took that out on his brother. 
So when you think about history, that's our history from the beginning of the earth and the beginning of humanity. So prior to that, there is no prehistoric things because that is our beginning of everything. So that would tell us that when we look at it from God's perspective, and you got to keep in mind, we also looked at that it was Jesus who created everything. It is Jesus who holds everything together. That's in Colossians 1, Colossians 1, 16. We also looked at how in Matthew 19, Jesus even said, in other places, he says, remember in the beginning, God created them male and female. Okay, so if you, if anybody then discredits this revelation of in the beginning, when things began, they're going to discredit what Jesus taught. Right. And remember, Jesus is who? God. He's God, amen. amen. And that's where John 1 would say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word, anything that was made that was made was made by Him. Amen. So that beginning predates the beginning meaning you're dealing with God who is before all things. And then he created a world to be inhabited. Now, when he created it on the sixth day, the scripture says that out of the ground, God made all the creatures and the crawling things, and then he made man out of dust. He didn't make man from animals, meaning we didn't evolve from apes. We didn't evolve from anything else. We were formed and then breathed into by God, and that man became a living being, a living soul, when God breathed life into Adam. And then out of Adam, what did he do? He took out of his side, and he formed a woman, and that woman is a man. He called them both uh, mankind. She's just a woman because God put a womb in her so that she could reproduce because that's what he told all the creation to what be fruitful and multiply. multiply. Well, the only way man can be fruitful and multiply is that man needed a suitable mate of his kind and God made a woman with a womb from man so that they could be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, in the fall, that polluted all that. What, what man uh, has done and, but God had a solution for us already for the fall right. in himself that God eventually would come and take upon flesh, become a man, and then become a substitute for us. But you got to keep in mind in this when it comes to the creation is that God created all the creatures. So those creatures, when he created them, just like man, were in their mature state. Yeah. All right. 1,600 years down the road. From creation, man is so polluted, God says he's going to destroy the world. So 1,600 years down the road from when God created Adam Eve, he's going to destroy the world. He shows grace to a man by the name of Noah and then gives Noah the instructions on preparing an ark. And remember, what's the difference between an ark and a ship? is that an ark doesn't have a rudder, it doesn't have any power source, meaning it doesn't have oars, and it doesn't have a sail, and it doesn't have an anchor. So you can't stop it, 
You can't, you can't steer it and you can't power it. It was totally at the mercy of God. Well, he told him to prepare it and that God would bring two of every kind, a pair. Now, it wasn't just two of each kind. He did that with the clean animals and the unclean because there was clean and unclean. And he brought pairs of even the unclean and he brings them to know. He said, I'm going to bring them all to you and you will keep them alive. That's in Genesis 6, 20. I'm bringing them to you to keep them alive. Now, when God did that, he brought everything that needed to be brought to him for him to preserve and keep alive. So those dinosaurs of what they were at what stage and size, because just like any creature and just like most like lizards over time that have the DNA in them to be able to grow, they get bigger and bigger and grow to be big dinosaurs like a um, some of the names of some of the dinosaurs, I, I couldn't name some of them right now, but some of them were big. But the average one was about the size of, they say, of a sheep or so. So those dinosaurs would come to him as well. But remember, not prehistoric, but what things that were in time, that were born in that 1600-year period. At that time, you got to keep in mind, the earth was in bad shape. But men still doing those days didn't eat animals from what we gather. Now, I'd say that some didn't, but God told Noah after the flood that they could start eating meat at that point in time. You got to keep in mind as well, prior to the fall, when God brought the animals to Noah, these animals uh, wasn't aggressive toward him. There was no fear of man in them. Because after the flood, when God opened up the door to them to be able to eat animals, he says, I'm going to put fear in the animal that they're going to fear you and dread you. They're going to run from you, get away from you. So things shifted and changed. What we have to keep in mind is things in this world are not the same as they were when God originally created it in that garden. Amen. Some people mock and they will say, well, why in the world would you curse a snake, the serpent, for whom was more cunning than all the other creatures, who Satan used to manipulate and deceive Eve and Adam's disobedience and follow and ensue to that, they'll say, well, when God, quote, unquote, how they'll look at it, when God, quote, unquote, cursed them, why would he curse them already to the ground? Well, you got to remember, in the garden, the serpent was different than he is what you see now got to keep that in mind. The world at that time was in a different condition that it's in now. I've heard different ones, Bible scholars, for an example. They're not really a, a Bible scholar that mocks uh, the Word of God. You, I would never classify anybody that mocked God's Word and discredited it and then says, oh, that was this allegory. It was just mythology of telling a creation story of how we got here, man doing its best with it because they don't believe God's word. They will make fun of that story of Adam and Eve. They'll make fun of the deception that took place in Eve and Adam's life. They make fun of what God cursed Eve with and what God cursed the serpent with. They'll laugh at it because they are only looking at life and looking at creatures and looking at everything from this view but they can't see it 
because they wasn't there of what it was like the way God explains to us in the scriptures. So it all goes back to what you believe. And a key factor for me is the fact that Jesus himself took this word in a literal sense. And uh, he's, he's our redeemer. And he had no fault with him. He was without sin. So he couldn't miss the mark on what the word said. You understand? If he missed the mark on the word of God, for which he said man's not to live on bread alone, but what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That means what God says about it is more important than what it is itself. And that's how Jesus lived. So he took that message of Genesis 1-1 as a man, he took it in the literal sense that it is exactly the way God said it. And he couldn't help but do that because, I mean, he's the one who created it all. Amen. Amen. Matter of fact, just look in Matthew 19 real quick. Matthew 19. Yeah, Matthew 19. You see, when you discredit the foundation, and that's what science does as a whole, that's what these mockers do as a whole, they discredit the Word of God. They believe that the Word is not the Word of God, it's the product of man. So if it's the product of man, you can go any way you want to go. You can stand on anybody's foundation. Well, I don't believe that. I believe the word of God is God's word and I can stand on that foundation of it. Amen. And not, I don't necessarily have to explain it, but I sure do trust it. Amen. I might not be able to say every detail about it, but I trust it. I trust it. I, 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 I build my life on it. And I'm going to build it whether anybody builds it with me. I'm going to stay with, I'm going to stay what it says. Amen. I may not always get it right. That, that's a given. But. I'm going to do my best to stick with what he said. So, yes, the dinosaurs that were made were already created. They were created on the sixth day. And over time, creatures have adapted to environments. They've adapted to warmer and colder climates. The world has changed than what it was at that time. We recognize that. Uh, the continents were set up different prior to mm -hmm. trouble with what happened in the flood. The flood was so devastating. That's something that's so hard for us to even fathom because we can't measure it. It's nothing's ever been seen like it. And nothing will ever be seen like it again because God made a promise, didn't he? Amen. And then he gave us a bow in the sky to remind him of the covenant that he made that one he does deal with sin, but he made a promise he would never judge the world and cover it with water again, but he will. He's reserved this same world for fire. He didn't say anything about water again. He said he won't do that, but what will he do? He's going he's gonna to burn it up is what he says. He's going to refine it with fire. But Matthew 19, this is, this is something that helps me as much as anything. And we can go through and find a bunch of different things that Jesus brought out, but this is where I stand on this, why I tell you that there is nothing prehistoric. Just remember that. Anytime you see prehistoric, even if you hear me say it or if I said it in the past, 
I said it accidentally in the sense that I wasn't really taking my thought captive in what I said because anything with the idea of prehistoric is contrary to Genesis 1-1 because that's when time began, amen, that in the beginning. And notice how Jesus does this. Yeah, they tried to question him just like they would today. Remember the enemy always questions his essence. If you are who you say you are, well, he is who he is. He didn't have to question who he was, but the enemy wants him to question it. He wanted him to question the essence of the word. He wanted him to question the essence of what God said. And that's why Jesus said, hey, man's not to live on bread alone, but what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That's how Jesus lived. And God is in salvation. This is not exclusive to Briggs Chapel. This is not exclusive to Mississippi. This is... Everyone that is saved or will be saved has been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to be like Jesus. That's the work of salvation. To think like Jesus, to walk like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to lead like Jesus, God is growing us and conforming us to be like him. Now, we won't be like him in this world because we've got a defiled flesh. But one day, we're going to cast this old body off and we're going to get a new body. And we're going to be like him. Are you with me? That's what the scripture teaches us. So, uh, and I'll, I'll show you that where that's at as well. So they question him. Verse number four. Jesus answered and he said to them, have you not what? Okay. Very fundamental. If, that, if he said, have you not read, what in the world is he talking about? Have you not read what? The word of God. Have you not read? You can put it in there and you could be as just as legit if you could just say, have you not read the foundation? Have you not read God's foundational word? Have you not read that God who made them at the beginning made them what? Male and female. So this idea with gender identity don't have any foundation scripturally to stand on. How did God make man? Male and? There's only two, right? Male and female. What about marriage? Male and what? Female. Female. You see, the, the battles we face in our culture today with homosexuality, gender identity, Abortion, racism, all of that is a product of not standing on the foundation. Come on. That's what it is. See, if you don't stand on the foundation, you are going to stand on everything else that's contrary to the foundation, like gender identity, abortion, homosexual marriages, the issues with race, as we've been saying, there's only one race. And what race is that? The human race, that's mankind. Now, there are different ethnic groups of people. That's without question. But we're all of one blood, right? Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? Who's our great-grandfather? Noah. Noah. There ain't a person breathing on this earth today that don't have Noah as their great-grandfather. And when I say great-grandfather, we're talking about generations back. But he's everybody's great-grandfather. If you believe the foundation, right? That God what? Flooded the world and started all over 
with Noah and his three sons and their wives. That's how God was. God populated the earth through those three boys. So every one of us come from him. That's what Acts 17, that's what Paul believed. And Paul believed what Jesus believed. Because Jesus believed what his father believed. Because matter of fact, Jesus is the author of all this himself. He says, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. That comes right out of Genesis 1 and 2. Amen. So did, did Jesus believe the book? Yeah. And if he believes the book, and he's the one who I'm a disciple of, and what does a disciple want to be? He wants to be like his... He wants to be like his teacher, his master. And if he believed it, I believe it. Amen. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. It doesn't matter what science says. It doesn't matter what the culture says. I believe what the master said. And he said, when it all started, when time started, God made a man and woman. And the male shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall be one flesh. That's just one occasion that I'm talking about. But it's enough for me. It's enough for me to say, look, I'm sticking with the book. Amen. Amen. I'm staying with the book. I don't have to understand it all. I've told y'all that before. What is childlike faith? Your grandkids don't know everything about you, but they trust you, don't they? I don't have to know everything and every detail, but I trust him, and therefore I rest in it, and I can rest in it because I, I believe exactly what he says. So that, that's one case there. So when he created the animals, he created those dinosaurs. And then 1,600 years later, at whatever stage in that reproductive cycle that they were in, that they could reproduce. That's why God kept them on the ark so that they could what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They came on that ark and God brought them to Noah. They wasn't afraid of him. He was able to keep them alive for that long period of time. You're dealing with like a year's time frame now. That's how devastating and how much water was on the earth. And then God blows with a mighty wind and the waters recede back within the boundaries that God had set for them. And that's when a lot of these sediments that you find in these rock formations like in the Grand Canyons and other places, were formed when most of that water was eating back at such a high rate. And these animals got caught up in, that had died, and got caught up in that sediment. And that's why they find these artifacts in these, in these places. The earth went into a, a, a turmoil in that with, the, with an ice age that came about because we believe that there was dinosaurs after that. As after that flood, because remember, God preserved them with Noah. And Job talks about some large creatures. As a matter of fact, Job talks about it in Job 40 and Job 41. He calls them the behemoth, I think, is one word used. Another word is used of a leviathan, is another large creature, but that's in Job 40 and Job 41, Psalm 74. Uh, will bring up some of these leviathans. Some of them were large creatures that were reptile type that could be in the water. Psalm 104 re refers to it. 
I think Isaiah 27 uh, is another passage that would bring it up. So these are just different ones that the Bible does mention. Doesn't call them dinosaurs, but speaks of them as extremely large creatures who had like a tail the size of a tree that was straight and as big as a tree. So you're talking about a big creature, right? And talked about how his strength came from his belly and his loins and his ribs. Uh, ribs were like pipes. You know, they were so, so large and so big. And, and those passages talk about those types of things. Matter of fact, look and go to 40. Go to Job 40. Let's just see. Job 40. They died during the days of Noah. Yeah, that was a thousand and six hundred and something years. Oh, yes, yes. Some of them were up in age. You know, some of them. And you're going to have primitive people, just like how you got primitive people today. Yes. You could, people could take satellite footage or send drones in the places in South America and some of these jungles and find tribes that are there that have never seen anybody that would look like you and me or dress like us. They're so primitive in where they are. So that obviously, if that be the case, there was primitive, a lot of primitive people back in those days. There's still primitive people on the earth today that are like that. You think about some of the aborigines in Australia and places in Africa and also down in uh, South America and, and some, of these, some of these tropical mountainous ranges, some have never really seen people uh, of a civilized world. There's a tribe off of the coast of in India in some place. They're still uh, a small group of people and things I've read on them. They've got satellite footage of them and people have tried to make contact with them they'll and they defend and fight and it'll kill you. If you come on their beaches, they'll, they'll kill you. And they want people to stay away from them, leave them. Matter of fact, they've even written laws that it's against the law to, to go see them. It's against the law to go. One, because they've lived there and been on that little island for so many years, they've not, had, they've not been introduced to certain diseases. And that the Indian government, if I ain't mistaken, have written laws that if you go into them and you get caught, you will be, you will be persecuted and judgment because they don't want you to introduce any kind of foreign disease to them because these people have been able to survive there on that place by themselves the way they are for ages. And... They don't want anybody going in there to them because they'll wipe them out if a disease comes in there. Still people like that. And it was obviously they would have had to have been people in that day as well. I said Job, right? Yeah. Job 40. Is that answering some of the questions that you have in there, Pam? Okay, Job 40. Let's see. Yes, yes, yes. See, let's look, let's look, let's look. I think it's Job 40. Uh, what's that? 40, yeah, 40, 15. He says, look now at the behemoth, if I'm saying that right. Uh, obviously, it's a large animal. It comes from the root word beast, 
that we also get a word like cow, the beast of the field in Genesis. Uh, it's a brute-based word, basically saying it was a instinctive creature, a brute beast that operated off of instinct. Look now at the behemoth which I made along with who? You. Remember on the sixth day, God made what? All the creatures. He eats grass like an ox. See now his strength is in his hips and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar tree is the idea. It's like a big cedar the sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. That's just a picture of like, if you was to look at a hog today and certain characteristics about a hog, how a hog's like a tank in the woods, how tightly knit he is in some of his ways. You know, they even, even the more big boars have a shield, you know, on their back that's hard to penetrate. And then things are solid. If you, if you skin one out, Greg, you've skinned them out before. You know how tight they are when you're trying to open them up? Man, it's just the way that, now this is a much larger creature and so tightly knit and so stiff, you can't penetrate him. You, you can't, you can't get to him. And a lot of these at, after the flood, you got to keep in mind when men began to repopulate and meat became available to them, what did men start doing? Started, they started hunting and they started killing creatures and they started surviving off of them. Uh, verse 18, his bones are like the beams of bronze. His ribs are like bars of iron. That, that says that you think about ribs that are like bars of iron he is the first of the ways of God. That takes us back to the beginning, creation. Only he who made him can bring near his sword. Meaning, you just out on the whim ain't going to take him down. If you were able to take him down, it's because God allowed you to take him down. I think that's what that's saying. Surely the mountains yield food for him and all the beasts of the field play there. He lies under the lotus trees in a cover of reeds and marsh. So he's kind of like a uh, crocodile would be, an alligator to some extent, but even larger, most likely bigger than that. Alligators usually don't eat grass and that type of thing. But you see how he's in a marshy environment, more like a reptile that, uh, perspective. The lotus trees cover him with their shade. Their willows by the brook surround him. Indeed, the rivers may rage, yet it doesn't disturb him. Just like in floods and stuff. You've seen pictures down in Florida, right? With those floods, what was old gators doing? They just go out and prowl, don't they? Yeah. He is confident Though the Jordan gushes into his mouth, though he takes it into his eyes, one pierces his nose with a snare. That is saying that there's times that, that you know, what, what would they pierce the nose of a bull for? What did you put a bull ring in? From, from that perspective, there are times just like in any, just like a big ox, a beast of burden, that, are brought in dominion because that's what God told man that he gave dominion over the creatures of the field 
And uh, so you see that. I think and also in chapter number 41, look in verse number 41. He's going to bring it up. Uh, let's move on to another creature. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? So that is saying he's something that definitely stays in the water. A snare his tongue with the line which you lower. Can you put a reed through his nose, a pierce his jaw with a hook? Will you make supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? It's just speaking about him. And there's other places that speak on it. I've got a couple little notes in my Bible here, like Psalm 74, 14. I've already mentioned Isaiah 27 and verse number 1. These are other references that talk about the Leviathan, the big sea creature. So these are telling us that obvious there were there were creatures of that sort during those time frames and uh but you just go back to standing on that foundation of the word you, you have to throw out what you've been taught what they taught us in school yeah. from a from a perspective of all this prehistoric as i said stuff that they date these things you know a million or 10 million or 20 million or 8 million or 200,000. If we take what Jesus taught, because Jesus teaches us as well that he refers to the Sabbath, that God made the Sabbath. And what did he make the Sabbath for? For man. When did God make the Sabbath? He made it on the, on the seventh day. That's the day blessed. So Jesus then takes us back to what Exodus is going to teach us, what Moses said, that in six literal days that God created, remember that, what I said, the summary statement, then the recipe of the explanation, those six literal days, and on that seventh day, and the reason we say that is because God closed each day out with an evening in the morning, 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 as a 24-hour period, as well as, he said, I put the sun, the moon, and the stars in the sky for the lights of men to govern the night and the day. And he said, for days, months, years, and for seasons. So we're talking about cycles that God created with purpose. And that everything God created, he then filled what he created. So that's why we go back to believing that this world we live in is what we call a young earth. It's young. It's not as old as, as we've been told it was. It's not as old as they say they find these things and they date them with these carbon datings or whatever it is. Right, right, right. He's talking about how deep you can get the rock or, you know, how, what kind of level of topsoil is on the average. It's a young earth. Yeah. So, that, I mean, you got to think that, that topsoil has, has been accumulating on this ground uh, for these 6,000 years. And it's, it's like you say, about a foot. And then you get into rock or you get into that harder ground and... A lot of that, remember, was washed over when the the sediment of the flood came. That's why when you go to Sharks Creek, you find shark's teeth in there. Or you go in the middle of America and you find sea creature life that was 
in, in, up there at that time. Well, when did that happen? It didn't happen when the world was covered with water in the beginning because there was no sea creatures at that point. Remember, God separated, the earth came forth, and then he created, what, sea creatures and the birds of the air, and then he creates creatures to walk on this dry ground, and then he creates man, and everything he created was the service of man. Uh, Psalm 104 is another psalm to look at that just talks about the intent and the purpose of God's creation. So the enemy will use anything and anybody to discredit what God says. Doesn't he, that's where, doesn't he attack the word? Amen. What he's going to do. Didn't he do that with Adam and Eve in the garden? Yeah. He did it with Jesus. He's going to do it with this world we live in. So you got to look at, there's only two foundations I can stand on. That's either God's word or somebody else's opinion. It's only two. God's word or someone else's opinion. That opinion can be mine. But if it's not standing on the foundation of God's word, it's just another man's opinion. And that's the two foundations that we have. God's opinion never changes. It never wavers. Okay, but man as <clears throat> thought the world was flat. Always changing. It's always changing. Adjusting to what they think they know and, and come up with, yeah. Learn something different, so they change. They constantly do it with, with <clears throat> what they've been finding in the heavens now, in the solar system. They, they, they do it on a regular basis yeah. of what's out there. You know, when you really think about it, uh, they're always adjusting to, to new, new finds, the exploration of science is always adjusting and readjusting and adjusting and readjusting the things they find. Well, we, we've had an unwavering truth given to us from the beginning. You look in Proverbs 8, you can look at throughout, Scripture says, hey, wisdom was with God when he, when he founded it all. Matter of fact, when out above said, the circle, the Scripture says, man thought, as Brother Shannon said, man said the world was flat. That if you kept going to that horizon and that sea, you'd fall off. You'd come to an end of it. But God's Word, way before man even, even thought to think that the world was even flat to get to that place, God's God. word says that we sat upon a circle. Remember, there's only two sources men operate under. That is lawlessness or righteousness. Right. And righteousness comes from God when we believe him. As we talked about Sunday nights, you just take God at his word, right? Yeah. God credits that as righteousness. That's that spring source of godliness. Or you have lawlessness, and that's what the enemy's behind. Lawlessness. Real quick, John 5. Look in John 5. John 5. Before we go, you take like Sodom and Gomorrah. Wasn't that our reading today? Yeah. Uh, what's the word Sodom mean? Anybody know? Off top of your head? Because remember, Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be brought up a lot. When I say a lot, it's used in the Old Testament like 39 times Sodom is. Used in the New Testament 10 times. But the Bible tells us Sodom and Gomorrah were examples of warnings to us of what happens when, when men go their own way. John 5. 
Sodom means to be inflamed, to burn, to burn, to be inflamed, to be inflamed, to burn with something. It's a twofold picture. Number one, they were inflamed and burned with their passions. With their passions. What did Genesis 18 and 19 tell us? That the cry of all the places around had been coming up to God. God didn't need to know, but Abraham needed to know what God knew. And he was coming down to look and to investigate. God already knew, just like he didn't need to know where Adam was at, but he said, where are you, Adam? It means to be inflamed in your passions. But you see, it, it also means that those inflamed passions are going to be judged as well. They're going to be judged. As, what does Gomorrah mean? Nothing good. Nothing good. Good point. It means to be submerged culturally. The idea is that you're so submerged, so caught up culturally, you're so in the culture of your surroundings and those burning passions, that's all you can see. That's why Sodom and Gomorrah represents everything that's wrong with fallen man. Yeah. Why God even referred to his people and he referred to Jerusalem as Sodom. And Gomorrah. If God had not kept a remnant, we'd have been like Sodom. Why? Because you get so caught up in the, the culture, you get inflamed with it, and your sights are totally off anything godly. That's the world we live in. Amen. And you see, when you submerged in with the culture, you'll also be submerged in the culture's judgment. Right, right. I mean, because there's not a bunch of us out there in comparison to humanity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, you're right, you're right. One, our citizenship is in heaven, right? Amen. That's why we set our affections on high so that we can be difference makers down here. So when you take Sodom and Gomorrah just by their names to be submerged in the culture inflamed with your passions, you'll also be submerged in the same judgment of those passions as with Sodom and Gomorrah. Amen. It's the same, it's the picture. That's what the scriptures teach us is that they are an example, a warning of what happens when you live your life for the passions of the culture that you live in. You can't nothing but anticipate a fiery judgment upon that. Now, the thing is, when God told Abraham what he was going to do, you got to remember, we had somebody who took our judgment for us. Amen. All right, you got to keep that in mind. When he was telling Abraham what he was going to do in a future day and bring about Abraham's seed, that seed would not only live a substitutionary life of righteousness for us, but he would also take our judgment for us. So you have to be what? Submerged into him for his life and his judgment to cover you so you don't get covered in the culture's passions and judgment that's going to fall on the rest of the world. So that's the picture there. You got both. You got the, 
way of justification and the judgment in chapter 18 and 19 of Genesis. God's redemptive story. John 5, he says, look, he says, verse 37, and the Father himself has sent me and has testified of me you have neither heard my father's voice at any time, nor you seen his form. So Jesus said when he spoke, he spoke for the father. So when he said in the beginning, God created a male and female, who is he speaking for? His father himself, he was speaking truth. Verse 38, but you do not have my father's what? His message abiding in you because whom the Father sent him you do not what? So anybody that questions the story of our beginnings and mocks it and laughs at it and discredits it, is a, they discrediting him who came to fulfill everything the Father sent Amen. to do. They don't believe Jesus. Are you with me? Come on. You can't believe Jesus and discredit his message. You can't. Verse 39, and then he says, you search the scriptures for in them, that is the scriptures, you think you have eternal life. What does that mean? Remember what we read in Genesis 18 yesterday when he says, he told Abraham that in your seed all the descendants of the earth shall be blessed. Well, they thought that was talking about them because they were just in the line of Abraham, but God kept putting a clause in there. Your descendants after you. Your descendants after you. That is saying your descendants who are like-minded like you. Your descendants who live by faith like you. That's the people that he's referring to, not just because you are one of Abraham's grandsons, because God doesn't have grandchildren. God only has what? Children, Children who are like Abraham who believe God. So he says, you search the scriptures, verse 39, for you think you have eternal life. And these, the scriptures, they are what? All testifying of me. of me, of me, the creator. They testifying of me. Verse 40, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life because life is in him. And life's in the word because the word is about him. And if you don't have Jesus and you don't have the life in the word, you're not going to have him. You don't have life. Verse 41, I do not receive honor from men, but I know that you do not have the love of God in you. Why? I've come in my father's name and you do not what? You do not receive me. See, to receive Jesus, you got to receive Jesus' message. If another comes in his own name, like science, him you will what? You will welcome it with open arms and believe it over me. Verse 44, how can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do you accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you say you trust. For if you believe, if you really believe Moses, and who wrote Genesis? Moses. Moses. If you really believe Moses, you would also believe who? Me. me. For Moses wrote about me. 
But if you do not believe Moses' writings, how in the world would you ever believe my word? Amen. You won't. You see, it ain't a fight with science. It ain't a fight what they present. It's a matter of who do you believe? You, you cannot claim to believe Jesus. You may believe a form of Jesus and then promote a science that totally contradicts everything he taught and said. It's impossible. Can't. Except if you have a different Jesus that you believe in. If you have a different Jesus, you could do that. But to have the one who came to be our Redeemer and sent by the Father, you can't trust him. And then totally discredit him on what he said and what Moses said about him and what Moses said that was all pointing to him because Moses said this when he wrote it, that he had put enmity between the enemy seed, told the enemy this, and Eve, I'm going to put enmity between what? The woman's seed and your seed. Who is he talking about there? He's talking about the Lamb of God and everybody that is of him. That's going to be, they'll, they'll butt heads. It's inevitable. You can't help it. So that right there, when you see that, and this is from this mouth of Jesus, right? And I believe him. I believe him because I've entrusted my life to him. Because if Jesus lied in one area, in one sentence, at one moment, he ain't worth being your savior. Come on. He can't save you. Are you with me? The fact that, the, the fact that he is a savior is the fact that he, that he didn't sin. That's what the resurrection says. The resurrection says you can trust him. Everything he said, everything he did, you can trust him. It validates everything he done. Amen? You can trust him. So you don't have to explain it all. Just say, look. My Jesus believed it, and so do I. And he'll help me with it, and prayerfully he'll help you too with it. Amen. I love you anyway, but I want you to know who he is, and when you see him. And so John 5 is a good passage, Matthew 19, when you're trying to figure out a lot of these other things that you, you and I, because we wasn't there, we're going to take what we have, but you see Jesus was there, Amen. and I believe him. Amen? I believe him. And Colossians 1.16, as I've already said, not only does he hold it all together, not only did he create it all, but the scripture says he's the one who reconciles everything in heaven and on the earth. And God has made him preeminent over all. So therefore we surrender unto him. Amen. Surrender unto him. So to him be the glory. Amen. You probably got another thousand questions on it. We all do. But some things we just can't answer at all. Mm -hmm. And I told them why. Yeah. And everybody was just like glued, and they're like, "No, I don't understand that either." Yeah. And they're like, "Let us know what he said." <laughs> <laughs> well, Lord willing, it record it for us, and I'll send it to you. You could you could share it. You could share it with other people. Well, I'm, I'm gonna share it as well. <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Same doubtful. 
Yeah. And the scripture says you have to be careful of willful ignorance. Willfully ignorant, the Bible says. Peter said they are willfully ignorant. They chose not to look into. They chose not to heed and hear. And Jesus was just telling that group of people, you claim to be of Moses, but there's no way you can really trust Moses because everything Moses talked about, he was talking about me. You'll receive it from everybody else, but you won't hear what I have to say. Why? Because they didn't have a nature to hear what Jesus said. Jesus told them in John 8, you are of your father, the devil. That's why you can't hear my words, why you can't trust me. Because you're, you're caught up and submerged in the passions of the society and the culture like Sodom and Gomorrah. That when the angels came in, what did they wanted to do with the angels? They wanted to molest and rape them. They couldn't recognize it. Why? They were caught up in their burning passions. A visitation from God and they wanted to rape and pollute God. Yeah. And what that, that's what the society does today, right? And they're like Cain, who says, well, if you won't love what I love, I'll take it out on you. Because you are being intolerant of my love, and God should love everything I love. Rather than saying, God, my love's messed up. I got a, I got a jacked up love. I don't know what love is unless you show me what love is. And I surrender that to you. Amen? And that's just a person who recognizes they can't see things right if they're not seeing it through the eyes of the, of the ways of God. And they don't want to see things their way. They want to surrender and say, God, show me. That's why I refer to that Proverbs 16, 3 over and over again. Commit your works unto the Lord and God will establish your, your thoughts the way you think. That's what I needed. I needed God to think for me, to show me things so I could think like he thinks, see things like he sees them, and he can point them out to me. Because I had a jack-up way of thinking. I couldn't think right, see right, do right. I needed him for that. And uh, praise God for it, amen. That's why he's given us a revelation, his thoughts. To him be the glory. Father, we bless you tonight. We thank you. We praise you. We give you glory for it. Help us with it. Teach us. We're at your mercy. We know we're growing in grace and therefore being set free from the lies we once believed. So, Lord, help us, help us, teach us. We want to know you most of all. And as you say in 1 John 3, that we don't know what we'll be, but we know we'll be like you. And everyone who has that hope in them is pure even as you are pure. So we praise you for grace and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Love y'all. Y'all have a good night.